You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and happy holidays, and welcome to the newest episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are here with a kind of a festive episode, and we are going to be looking at a Shane Black Christmas. What does the heck does that mean? We'll talk about that in a little bit. You'll be very surprised when we come up with the topic and figuring out how we got to this one. It's going to be a great one, and we actually have a great crew with us. But, you know, for great crews, who do you think about? The jolly man himself, the man of the season, Mr. Mike Gordon. Ho, ho, howdy. How are you, sir? If your beard gets any more white, you might be ready to play Santa. (laughs) I am... uh... I am dreaming of a black Christmas. So, uh, so yeah, this is uh, a dream come true, this episode. It's going to be a fun one to talk about. And we got, a, you know, like we said, we got Ashley and Alex joining us. And we are also going to be doing the geek seat this week. And we have the return of the con report this week. It's amazing. Yeah, we certainly do. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a full show. We're starting off uh, well, you know. We're ending twenty twenty off with a uh, with a bang. Shane Black, right there, dude. Exactly. You know, if it, if it's perfectly <laughs> Black Christmas seems perfect for twenty twenty. <laughs> exactly, and we definitely would love to hear from you guys. And please, you know, write us at feedback at earthstation one dot com. You know, let us know what your favorite Shane Black movies are. We definitely would love to hear it. And also, how's your Christmas? How was your Hanukkah? How's your New Year's plans going? Are you doing anything special? It'd be great to hear all about it. We got a lot of, you know, feedback that we're getting from folks. And, you know, thank you, thank you for folks who are writing in and who, you know, are subscribing to the show and to leaving us feedback. And we would love you guys to do that. You can now, you know... Listen to us wherever fine podcasts are found, as we love to say. And, you know, wherever you listen, please leave us feedback. We would really appreciate it. Five stars would be great. You know, and if you could leave a little bit, you know, tell us what you guys think of the show or tell others what you think of the show. Because it'd be great just to hear what you guys have to say about us and everything. So please let us know. Also, you know, give a big shout out to our patrons. Want to wish them a very big happy holiday and you know, we've got, you know, patrons and, you know, they're the ones who help put us up on each week and help put us the ESO network out there. And we've got great things. We just recently had uh, the fine folks at the Flopcast actually do another movie review. So, you know, Flopcast is doing great things. Other shows from the network are starting to pop up there. So you got, you know, all great things. And of course, if you join to the Patreon, you get to hear this show 48 hours before it goes live. So to the rest of the world. So it's pretty awesome. You know, so all you have to do is donate at least 25 cents a week. And with that support, we keep the electricity going. We buy, get microphones. Mike Gordon could get a new Tiki mug. It's pretty awesome when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's what the boy wanted for Christmas. So he gets Tiki mugs. It's a great, great thing. So, 
It's awesome to do. So help support the ESO Network at patreon.com slash ESO Network. Pretty straightforward, folks. Also, a quick shout-out to our friends at Tofosi Optics. It's a little too late to order for Christmas, but you could get new sunglasses for the new year. That's right. The new year is going to be so bright and so sunny, you need sunglasses. Or you might need gamer glasses, or you might need safety glasses. You can find all that kind of stuff up at TofosiOptics.com. And as a little gift to you, if you put in the coupon code ESO Network, you can get a pair of Really awesome glasses for ten percent off, and it take and it covers your whole order. It's not too shabby, folks. Tofosi Optics, check it out. And now we are here with our f- new friend Jeff Twaskin. Welcome to Earth Station One. Hey, it's good to be at Earth Station One. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the station. Yeah, it's such a nice station. I love what you've done with the place. Well, you know, you it, like the new curtains? It's awesome. <laughs> it is. It is. Last time I was here, the floors were red. Now they're green. But you know, it's it's nice. I like it. I like it's it. Festive. Yeah, it's more marbly now. <laughs> we had to do something with twenty twenty. You know, it, it was yeah. we were sitting around. To, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't go to any cons or go to any shows. So you know, we we re- we decorated. You know. <laughs> DIY that you got That's what you got to do. If you're going to be stuck at home, might as well make it look as nice as possible. Well, exactly. That's why we have HGTV playing in the background all day. <laughs> <laughs> Mike was just very lucky that we didn't have ship plank. <laughs> so, so Jeff, uh, the, for those people, our listeners who may not be familiar with it, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Sure. Sure. A um, couple things. I, professional stand-up comedian for 18 some years uh and uh sort of a digital entrepreneur i was i started one of the first web development companies in the late 90s so that's one of my claim to fame <laughs> and uh i am very active on social media most mostly twitter where i started a an account called hashtag roundup and built an app called hashtag roundup as well that uh, make it easy everything's named the same it's basically uh hashtag games on twitter where you can go if you don't know what to tweet or anything like that you can go and join in a game there's a new one like every 90 minutes or so and just kind of uh fun stuff that you can do on twitter and get to know people and build build your own community on twitter Wow, that that's incredible. Um, yeah, that's yeah. You I mean you mean Twitter can be used for some fun stuff? It can. It can be. It can be. <laughs> a, it can be a lot. When I was as a stand-up comedian, I found that it was it was actually it was the best of the platforms. I thought to to be able to kind of express yourself and get noticed and build a following. Oh, and I'm also a host of a podcast called the Jeff Dewaskin Show. <laughs> Right, right. A weekly podcast, and I have a live show that I do on Wednesdays at nine thirty p.m. Eastern, and uh, I just started that, but that's that's fun too. So yeah, well, I would imagine that. Uh, I mean, was podcasting sort of result of was that something in place that you, you wanted to do before the pandemic, or was that something that sort of happened as a result of that? Well, originally it was it was something that I had intended to do in two thousand seventeen, mm-hmm. so three years ago, and it was meant originally as part of my it was going to be more of an offshoot, not so much of my comedy side, but of my social media side. And I was going to, so I was going to do a whole social media tips, like how to, how to be effective and popular, I guess, on Twitter. It was going to be called viral intentions and 
I had the intro, the outro. I bought all the equipment. It sat on my desk for years, literally years. <laughs> and then my wife finally said, you got to get this off your desk, you know, because it's like, you know, the board and the cords and the mic. <laughs> and so I put it in a box and then the pandemic hit. And then I tried to find the box and that took a, a few weeks. And then once I found the box, I didn't know how to put it back together because it's just so many wires and stuff. Just to give you an idea, like when I get into my car, I put the key in and it starts the car. If it doesn't start the car, I don't know what to do. So that, that sort of extends just to give you an idea, like what I was looking at with this box of of stuff and wires. So a buddy of mine, Nate Armbruster, came over, he set it all up. And then there's a rule in the family. You don't go buy Jeff's and dad's, you don't go buy dad's stuff. <laughs> you don't touch anything. And, uh, and so I... So now it's like the pandemic, you know, everyone's working from home, you know, you get 15 extra hours a week because you're not driving and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm ready to go, you know, hospitals are filling up, people are dying. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think I can start a podcast called Viral Intentions right now. Oh, is that the name? <laughs> yeah, that was the name. And uh, <laughs> and so uh, I ended up naming it just the Jeff Twaskin show. And then I do a little social media stuff in the, in the podcast, you know, just a quick tip. And then I do some shtick and then I do an interview. And so it's sort of like, uh, it sort of combines all, all the things that I really love, pop culture, comedy, social media trends, and mm -hmm. it kind of pulls it all together into one package. So each episode has the same structure, but it's, it's a little different just in terms of the direction that I go, but Theme-wise, it, it's all kind of the same. So, I would imagine, and and you know, sort of looking at uh, your just your stand-up experiences alone. Uh, I mean, man, you've covered a lot of ground in almost twenty years. I mean, you must have seen. I mean, I think the the face of it's changed probably a few times since you've been doing it, right? Yeah, you know, it's I've always kind of focused on the clubs and the you know the tv and then things have gotten pc-ish real pc-ish and then the cancel culture in the last few years but i don't think i was i don't think it was ever controversial enough to worry about kind of stepping into that stuff i mm -hmm. uh i get political on twitter but it's more what i consider humorous political like i might be making fun of donald trump but if you support donald trump and you can't find what i just said funny then and you really don't kind of have a sense of humor because it's like, it's hard. I don't get deep into it. There were mm -hmm. people that went deep into it. Like if, if I wanted to, I probably have 300,000 followers now versus 44, you know, where I was around just over 40. And like, because if you went all in on being negative politically, I guess, or positive, it depended what side you wanted to pick. But if you wanted to be like that, I would have gone into that negative, meaning anti-Republican, right? There was, there was a whole niche community for that. I mean, like, I, you know, you could be huge, but like the negative energy that we had to go into doing something like that, it just, it wasn't something that I thought, I think I could live with or wanted to be. It just wasn't, wasn't for me. So stayed where I was, mm -hmm. <laughs> Got it. but you know, with good. with um with podcasting and and most of the social media things that are done now i would imagine that it's difficult to recreate the experience i mean with stand up you've got a live audience right there right so you're feeding off them and there's a there's a energy there right um so it it must be now kind of difficult to not have that there right 
Yeah, and that's why I avoided Zoom shows. I, I kind of look at podcasts as sort of a, so like the first five, six, whatever minutes of the podcast before I get into my interview, it's sort of me and I have like this little shtick that I do and like, and like, and I do my thing and that's, that's where I get to be me. And while there's no audience, because I get to present it and, you know, like I'll, I'll do it. I I write down notes, like how I want to do it. I go like, hey, these are the beats that I'm going to do. And then I just do it. And if I don't like it, I start over and then I'll do it again. And I try and get it as just organic as possible. Cause I don't, I don't want to read it or write, you know? And so since I'm able to kind of put it together the way I would want to perfectly present it, I'm okay with missing the, uh, the thrill, you know, you, you, you hear from some, you hear from some people like, Oh, that was a great episode, but actually they always go, it was a great interview. They never <laughs> really mention <laughs> right. my stuff. So it's like, um, you know, some people do sometimes and it's, that's nice. And, uh, yeah, and I, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to overthink that, but the, um, but that to me is like the, the kind of the fun part of it for me to be able to kind of do that. I'm also, I enjoy the interviews too, but sometimes the interview might've been a month ago. So it's a little more distant from it. And so like, you know, I'm re-listening to it though, you know, cause I don't know your process. I do an edit and then I kind of put it mm-hmm. aside and then I, uh, uh, anyway, we, we, if you want to get technical, we into the, the weeds. Well, I was just about to ask <laughs> if, you, if, you, to. if you're doing like, are you doing like everything? Are you doing like all the editing and post-production and all that kind of stuff? I mean, just not to get really specific in it, but yes. I mean, just, I mean, are you just kind of just doing your thing and having someone else edit it for you? No, because the end result is, has to be exactly the way I need it to be. Gotcha. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like, I it's rare like uh that i'll let things go occasionally um if there's like one minor blip but like i i I can't live with myself it's like i can't trust somebody else to to do that you know because like because they hear it differently than i do and like even when i edit like an interview sometimes you know there's this awkward like transition between two questions and then when you're done editing it it's not awkward it sounds brilliant right (laughs) (laughs) true and so it's like I can't trust someone else to do that because they won't have the same tolerance. You know, they'll let it go. You know, I was like, Oh, it sounds fine, Jeff. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I sound like an idiot. I went oh, for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? I needed to sound like uh, I knew what I was doing. That's what editing's for. So I, otherwise I do video live, which I do, yeah. but like, it's different. <laughs> it's like, but like, um, yeah, I, I edit everything. I, Everything I do, yeah, I do it all. So it's like every mm-hmm. time I, I learn little, you know, little tricks here and there, and it's it's helpful, you know. So like I, I know like when there's a like one particular episode where everyone after that is technically better than the ones before it, but you know, um, but that's fine. And then you just you learn some uh, tricks and stuff like that. And someone taught me an interesting thing recently, and then you know you Google stuff, and you know it's mm-hmm. all there. It's all there. We live in a great age. So, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as far as, and yeah, and, and getting it out there and, and especially with podcasting, we found 
that uh, your audience has, uh, it seems like a much more personal experience with you. Um, You know, I think they've analyzed it or whatever and said, because, you know, a lot of times you're going directly in people's ears or they're hearing you um, uh, in a more intimate setting, one-on-one, rather than like if you're on stage or if you're on TV or something, so that the, the, your audience seems to have more of a personal connection with you. Uh, do you find that that's the case as well? I do agree with that comment because it happens to me with the people that I interview with, right? So when we interview someone, they, it only existed for them that one time, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I listen to it again, right? I do an edit, you know, so I, I, I edit again. Then I listen to it again when I do a final edit, you know, another round of editing, tighten it up a little bit more. And then once I have the podcast done, I listen to the whole podcast again because I I don't want to upload a file that there could be something wrong with. So I have to listen to the whole thing. So that's four times now I've listened to the interview. Mm. So to me, it's a little, it's intimate. And so when I'm like, I'm so excited, it's going to be there. They're like, what? I don't even, you know, they don't even remember it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, so like I, so yes, I'm agreeing with you because I, I'm just, I'm assuming that like, cause all of a sudden this enhanced relationship version that I get with re-listening to the conversation over and over again, because mm-hmm. now I've had the conversation with that person four times. They only right. had it once. Right. So I think when people listen, I think that's why people stick with it too. Like, or why people subscribe. It's, you know, they're not subscribing for your guest because that the guest is different next week. They're mm-hmm. they're subscribing to you, right? So that because they like the way you do it. I love the way Mark Marin had conversations with people. So, you know, I even bought his app. You know what I mean? Like when you could unlock early episodes, you know, of WTF. And, <laughs> right. and so, you know, there was a time, you know, but the, I think the other problem is at some point when you discover someone late like i discovered mark Marin, he was 200 episodes in so like oh there's, there's my drive forever but at some point i caught up <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to like remember to have it be part of your ongoing now it's like you have to remember oh next monday next you know this and and so i i, I don't it's that to me is in the hard part you know it's like if someone catches on now and they go oh, i got 33 hours of jeff i can listen to <laughs> you know what i mean it's like all right you know pace yourself you know but I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's, it's a, it's interesting trying to figure it all out. So, yeah. I mean, we've had certainly a lot of, you know, experiences uh, like that with our show as well. And it is, it is an amazing journey uh, to go on, but it is, I would imagine it's different than, you know, doing the stand up. Uh, I, you know, I, I know uh, a few stand up comedians as well. And, Man, it's just a skill set that's completely different than what I have, <laughs> um, and I and I, it's really intimidating. I, I actually have so much respect for you guys for doing that because it is, it it is something that I I just don't think I could ever do. I think it's helped in terms of ramping me up. Maybe I mean I I always will feel that I'll get better and I'll always be better just because I think time makes you better and doing something makes you better, even mm-hmm. if you're really good at any one of those points. So, but you know, like I, I think if you listen to some of my earlier episodes, I was probably maybe better than average. I mean, if you just compare to someone who's never been on stage, I'm just saying, I just right. mean, the, I just mean my talking. I don't mean, yeah. and, and then as time went on, I think my comfort level got even more and more, 
in, you know, just, it just, I think it comes through because I even bought a microphone stand. So like I have, I can put myself into the mindset of being on stage mm-hmm. when I'm recording my parts of it, or even like when I'm interviewing too, you know, so that to me is, is, is part of it and really kind of just being able to let go and just kind of record and not, you know, like you would just kind of be free. I think it's hard to just be free. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're thinking about I'm recording myself, uh, how am I presenting? You know, so I can I can get kind of really loose and relaxed. At least I think. And mm-hmm. like in my head, well, at least that's how we're playing out in my head. You guys listen. You tell me later. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, you know, I don't have the reaction to know if I'm if I'm accurate or not. Sure. That's sure. the what's the one negative of not being on stage. If you're on stage, you know exactly how it's going for real. <laughs> Was, but I'm was, also presenting different kinds of stuff, right? I'm not necessarily trying to get a laugh. I do a, a parody commercial. It's not meant to be ha ha ha. It's meant to be, wait a minute. Okay, wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me hear that. Let me, I missed half the references. Let me listen to it again. So. Um, uh, was stand-up something that you got into pretty early on? Well, if you've been doing it for almost 20 years, you must have been pretty young when you started, right? Like, was that something that you just always wanted to do? I started, well, I started a little later than... I would have liked to, but I didn't know about it. Um, yeah, I think it was something always I I wanted to do, didn't know how to do it. And then kind of when I started my web development company, we did um, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle's website. And there was a page on there for comedy classes. And then, you know, you learn how to be a comedian, basically, you know. And so I knew that. And there were just pieces that kind of came together. So at some point... I took that class and then I, you know, did the graduation and then, you know, 18 years later. Gotcha. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's very cool though. So, and that was, so that's a, it was sort of a secondary or I don't want to say a hobby, but it was something that you sort of just, you know, it wasn't your main thing that you grew up wanting to do. Right. I I always enjoyed being funny, but no, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, had I probably, had somebody who could have pointed me in that direction, maybe, you know, yeah. I just, but I, by the time I figured it out, which thankfully I, I figured it out, I, you know, it was already a little bit late in life, but, you know, and so, you know, but unfortunately, I'm glad I had got it. I'm glad I did yeah. it. Um, you know, it's helped out, you know, just in other pieces of life as well. So. Yeah. I mean, and certainly you've had a lot of success with it. So, um, I, you know, I mean, like I said, it's just one of those things that it's a skill set that I, I really admire because, uh, it's not something that, uh, that, yeah, I, it's not a skill set that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, but very cool. Well, um, Mike, I think, uh, I think he's, he's ready. I think, uh, are we, are we doing geeksy? Are we, are we strapping him down? Oh, we are so strapping him down. You know, <laughs> you know, he's a jack of all trades. He should also be used to being strapped down. You know, most comedians usually are used to it, you know. So it's it's cool. It's all cool. And, you know, being a podcaster, we're all strapped. So, you know, it's even better. So, Jeff, are you ready for your first question in the geek seat? Let's do it. All right, man. He's too happy. This is, you know, these people are so happy when they get into the geek seat. And, you know, they're always, the they're always, they always start off that way. I know. By the end, it's like, oh, man, this is really tougher than I thought it was going to be. So this is good. There, 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 really might be good. there might be tears. I'm ready. I got, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. Okay. <laughs> okay, Jeff, what was your favorite geek out moment? 
my favorite geek out moment. This can be any any kind of pop culture y yeah, thing. Yeah. Okay. So my my replace the word geek with passion, you know, basically. Okay, sure. My well, my geek, nerd, whatever. It, the I think the one time I like geeked out the most is when I met Henry Winkler. Mm. Oh, the very, sure. Yeah. I've met him twice, but the very first time I did, which was quite a long time ago, I think I was the first time I ever met someone and I, and I, and I couldn't function. Let's put it that way. Right. So like, cause he was the Fonz, you know what I mean? Of like, course. I've met, look, I met, I met a lot of people at comic cons and stuff like that, but this was at an event. And so we got to go up, I got to go up to him. Like it was in a hallway even maybe sometimes maybe the Comic-Con things, they help ease you into it a bit, right? Cause you're kind of walking in and it's like, they're expecting. So this, this was at an event. So we're in like this auditorium or you know, atrium rather. And, and I, I met him, I have a picture and, you know, and I just remember I just because he was the fonts. It was like, it was it, like, right. I mean, who's more iconic than Henry Winkler and the Fonz? I mean, like, you know, like growing up, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it was just, it was just unbelievable. It was just a moment. It was, it always kind of stuck with me and never, and the nicest guy in the world. I met him flash forward like decades. And so I think it was a year or so ago, he was at the Detroit Comic-Con and I think it was like his first Comic-Con. And so he, the lineup for Henry Winkler was ridiculous. They had line, the first line, and then they had to have a second line, you know, to keep like a, you know, the, the aisle free. So mm-hmm. I'm in the front of the second line and this guy knows how to work it. He leaves the, where he's signing and comes and works the front of the, the B line. Right. Oh, wow. And so he's like, Hey guys, thank you. I can't thank you enough. And like, I reach out, I shake his hand. Cause, and then like, and then everyone did <laughs> once I broke that ice, but like, but it was like, this is, he's working it. He knows it. He, he knows we're each worth 30 plus dollars a pop. He's not letting any of us go. And he's like the nicest guy in the world. Right. And so, and uh, it was just, it was just, it was just so nice. To, it's nice to meet someone who is, you know, you think so highly of and, you know, is, is a great person. I've seen him at shows. And uh, mm-hmm. what I really admire about him is that uh, he doesn't just sit behind a table and just sort of sign and, and then send you off. Like, I mean, he's really tries to make it so that he gives you a moment. Yes. Um, and many times he'll come outside, like from the, like to the front of the table and not like be behind the table. Like he's, yeah, he was in front of the table the whole time. Yeah. yeah exactly. Just, like you just said. Yeah. He really makes it a personal experience, which is, yeah, that's, I mean, that's more than you can hope for. So, and yeah, he's the Fonz. He just snaps his fingers and things work. Girls come. Like, it's just like, that's one of those deep, 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 like childhood, like characters, right? Well, yeah. I mean, this is a guy that said library cards are cool. And then everybody got a library card. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's insane. I mean, that was was influence before influencers. You know what I mean? And so, you know, just to meet him, it was just like, uh... (laughs) well, let's look at the other side of the sun. What is your most disappointing geek out moment? Okay. All right. So same situation kind of, well, I have two, two, I think is, um, but my main one, I think is meeting Mickey Dolan's and the monkeys. And so man, he was at the comic-con. I grew up loving, well, I shouldn't say I grew up loving the monkeys when the monkeys had their resurgence, you know, um, well, I guess it was, it's, it was just their 50 year anniversary. That was like their 20, <laughs> anyway, 
anyway, a couple of years ago. And uh, <laughs> when they, you know, when they were huge on MTV, when MTV started replaying all them, I was really into the monkeys. Like I was recording them on that. Like I loved the monkeys. And so getting to meet Mickey Dolenz and he was just such, he was kind of a jerk. And I was just like, I was so bummed about it. He was like one of the first people that charged me to take a photo. I know now it's a thing, but that right. used to not be a thing. And so the, it was that. And then he's all like, I'm like, are you ever touring with the monkeys again? Cause they'd been on hiatus. Well, I'm touring with my band and I got my own album here. And I'm looking at the album. I'm like, you're just singing monkey songs. <laughs> it's like, it was, I mean, he signed everything. He took the picture, but it was just, it wasn't the, it wasn't, it was like the, it was a like complete opposite of the Henry Winkler story. I just, I did not, I did not love that. When I met Tim Allen for the first time, um, that was a little disappointing. I had, I had, um, I met Tim Allen and my friend Dan Lippe is a photographer and he had taken like, like he took famous people's pictures all the time. Right. And so he always told me, he's like, if you meet someone famous, don't talk about the obvious things. Try and talk about something that's a little more obscure because if you talk about something obscure, they're more likely to actually stop and talk to you. Mm -hmm. And so I always kind of took that to heart. And oh, yeah. when I first started doing comedy, I did this festival uh, called uh, Forgotten Harvest. And it was a big charity and I was on the board and it was basically, we raised money to, um, you know, against, again, you know, to fight hunger. And Tim Allen had done like the first two of these Forgotten Harvests. I mean, so like a decade prior. So Tim Allen was a god, basically. And when I say he did it for free, a lot of times when a, a comedian says, I did a, a, a fundraiser uh, for a cheaper, it means if they charge 80 grand, they charge 50. He did it for free and they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So he was like a, a god. So here I am now, I'm starting comedy and I'm doing the same festival as him, right? And I said to him, I said, oh, hey, I am, I'm doing Forgotten Harvest. And he just looks at me and goes, yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh, wow. And I'm just like, oh my God, that was devastating. That was literally <laughs> a devastating moment. And uh, just, just killed like, uh, right there. <laughs> I, I ended up meeting him years later. Again, we worked another charity together and or we worked a charity together. And, um, and, I, I said, okay, I'm going to give him another chance. I'm going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> and he redeemed himself a little bit this time. So uh, so then I, I felt better about him after that. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. What geeks you out the most? Uh, what geeks me out the most? Yes. Um, oh, well, I mean, I just, I just love <laughs> going to Comic-Cons and meeting. I go every to Comic-Con every year. We have a pretty big one here in Michigan, Detroit, and I go with my friend Dan Lippett. He does all the toys and the art, and I go to the where all the celebrities are. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just love. You guys can't see. I have a wall like yours. I, my computer is I, a horrible angle, but like, um, I love meeting all these people and getting their autographs and and um, and taking pictures with them. Well, now when I first started doing this, you know, you would buy the autograph. And they would take the picture because they were appreciative of the fact that you just paid 
whatever, $30 for an autograph. Now it's like $30 for an autograph, $30 for a photo, 50 for both or whatever. And it's just like, so that's like you walk into these things, you got to be, now you got to like really think, all right, I only got 200 bucks. <laughs> you got to be real strategic about it. It's like, well, I like him, but ah, he has a, you know, but I, I think I'm going to go with Ian Zeering for the win on this one. And, um, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, that that's that to me is like if if I'm in geek heaven, that's 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 the most exciting thing for me. Nope, yep, makes total sense. What turns your geek off? Um, I don't like um, bad comic book movies. <laughs> <laughs> and there were so many of those too. So so many of them. I uh, yeah, I I I was trying to think of some. And, um, so I, I'm sure you guys have seen, I own this on VHS, the Roger Corman's fantastic four. I bought it like at a comic-con. Right. Oh yeah. And, of course. and so it's horrible. And they're, they're, I think the only one worse than that, though, I, though I do give them credit for really, really trying, <laughs> but I do like, I think the only thing worse is that, that old captain America one where it was like, you just had a, it was basically just like a helmet, motorcycle helmet. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, I think Ned Betty was in that one, wasn't he? And anyway, so the funny thing about the Roger Corman one is there's a documentary. I don't know what it is. Amazon Fire just pops things up. There's a documentary of the making of the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. And these actors really thought this was going to be their big, big break. And even like in in hindsight, looking back, they, they still really kind of feel they got robbed and it was like <laughs> i'm just like oh my god <laughs> yeah it's like it was such an you know, they the, the making of was almost more entertaining than the movie, the movie itself. itself oh i'm sure it was <laughs> i remember seeing that and going like what did i just watch <laughs> what fictional character would you like to meet the most uh fictional character meet the most i think i would go with spock both because and I both because well it would have been nice to meet Leonard Nimoy had he not passed away but like um, I don't know just he seems the most interesting and he also seems to be like one of those that was always popping up like he was always relevant to that franchise even in the new movies and it was just it was kind of a fascinating character it just seems like you could have a good conversation with him oh <laughs> very much so that I that I agree you try to make a joke and he'd be like looking at you like. That's right, right, right. Yeah. Which fictional character would you not like to meet, though? Um, I think if I was going to avoid anyone, and I, I <laughs> it'd have to be um, Grand Moff Tarkin, because I think the guy had like no chill. He just had no chill at all. I just, it was like, I think he was just a dick, and he just seemed like he was always a dick. And I, so I like, I don't think I'd want to, and I don't say that about all bad guys. You know what I mean? Like it is like, but him specifically, I was just like, mm, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Um, I th well, a friend of mine, uh, Aaron Rubin, and I will always do this thing. It was like, uh, we'll look at anytime something good happens, we just look at each other and go, excellent, in the air guitar. <laughs> and um, I, I find that the, um, I don't want to talk about Bill and Ted 3 because I really thought it was horrible, but like Bill and Ted 1 was 
one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think we like the quotes out of that movie to this, like I, we still quote that movie, you know, that excellent. And uh, I, I even said something to, do, to the other that we were trying to solve something. And I'm like, that is why we need Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he had no idea what I was talking about, but like um, there's that. And if you can just at any point scream out San Dimas high school football rules, I think that's, that's a win. That's a real win. If I was going to go with science fiction, I would just, I would think it's a trap. I got, oh, it's a trap. I can't do the voice, but like, there's a trap. <laughs> there you go. Hey, <laughs> we're going to capture that for you. Don't worry. You know. <laughs> yeah, that, that can be a ringtone. Exactly. Now that, that's my new ringtone for 2021. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> What's your occupation? Uh, ideal geek occupation. Um, I think, I think anything on board the enterprise, like on the deck, on the, the main, the main deck, right. well, I think it's like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind. I'd like to be the guy responsible for going to, you know, whatever warp speed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the helmsman. The helmsman. <laughs> or, you know, the guy who just pushes the button. Warp. Yeah. You know, boom. <laughs> Exactly. Because <laughs> in the future, it'll be like, hey, Siri, go to warp, you know? I know. Oh, that, that's how it was Siri. on... Uh... Siri just opened there. Oh. Okay. <laughs> what geek occupation would you not like to do, though? Which geek occupation would I not like to do? A uh, real estate agent on Alderaan. No, it's, but it's a good answer, Mike. What? It, it is a good answer. It is a good answer, though. <laughs> hence, hence his uh, not liking uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. That exactly. explains so much. He, he ruined all the real estate. Uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. agents. <laughs> there was no more real estate after that. Exactly. Nope. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Jay. Are you ready, Jeff? Are you ready for your first last question? Yes. All right, Jeff. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, normally I'd go with, you know, the wife dresses, slave layup, but I think that's the obvious answer. <laughs> I, I think the, um, no, my honest answer to that is I'm really looking forward to the, uh, the pandemic ending, everyone being healthy and safe. I really need to get to Star Wars land at, at, at Hollywood Studios in, in Orlando, Florida. Like that, I, I kind of feel like it, walking into that will be like one of the greatest moments ever are you gonna try so, to stay the, at that hotel <laughs> for the you know, the hotel, the, it's you know like when you're balancing like your wife and uh the kids you know there's like the, there's a balance to what i can get away with and what i can't so i don't know i don't know i'd have to research more into that i don't know if my wife is willing to go all in <laughs> on that <laughs> experience and the park but you know you never know you never know so I mean, it could be pretty amazing. So, I mean, I'm sure it is amazing. I just, oh, yeah. you know, it depends. Depends what kind of hotel it is, too. I don't know. Exactly. If you can get points for it or whatever. No, it's a Disney hotel. Of course you won't. So, uh, there's different levels of Disney. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Very cool. Well, Jeff, I am very happy to tell you you've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Huzzah! Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $7.08. Awesome. 
<laughs> Don't look on eBay. I'm already selling it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look at the bids go down. Um, uh, <laughs> I would never saw that go into the negative before. Wow. Um, it has been great to have you with us. Um, for your podcast, for people who want to check out your podcast, are there any particular episodes that you're particularly proud of that you want people that like, you should listen to this? Well, that's not fair because what if someone's listening who was on it and I don't name their episode? <laughs> well, look, you were you named names earlier about the people you met that you didn't like. So. Right, I know, I know. They're not going to be on the show. The, uh... <laughs> All right, well, I'd say, I guess statistically no one's making it this far into the podcast anyway. The, um... True. <laughs> no, um, you know, I love the conversation I had with Hal Sparks. I love the conversation I had with... Craig Shoemaker. Um, I do, I do love them all. I mean, I, you know, it's funny that I had some great conversations with um, some friends of mine, Ron Lippett and Howard Rosner. And we did the original crossing the streams episodes was two episodes of my podcast, which became the live show that we do on Wednesdays at nine 30 PM Eastern. And, you know, so those are cool. And then the uh, Kelly Maroney was a lot of fun to have on the show and there's a, there's a lot that I've had the conversations I've had I haven't even put out yet that I, I've really liked. I each one's kind of special in its own way. It's hard to you know kind of do it. The James Bond episode I just did a James Bond episode. I had this guy Stephen Ray Rubin on, and he oh wrote, yeah I read his book. Yeah, he wrote uh, it's that's not an easy book to read, and it's like <laughs> literally an encyclopedia. It's a book you kind of take in and pieces, but it's amazing if you love James Bond and. And we just talked about James Bond. It was a different kind of interview. Like I didn't talk about his background or anything like that. We literally did like a 45 minute James Bond talk, you know, from mm -hmm. Sean Connery. We moved our way to Daniel Craig. We talked about Bond girls, gadget, you know, like different threads along the way. And, you know, conceptually it was my first kind of topic themed thing. You know what I mean? So it was like, it worked out. It worked out well. So we didn't get into his other stuff because like I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to kind of keep a thread. And so that was cool. That's a good one. That was, those are recent ones. Any of the ones I have with comedians are fun conversations. Um, you know, they're all good. They're all good. I had a couple conversations with a buddy, Dan Zare from Coffee with Kenobi. It's another mm -hmm. podcast and he's a buddy of mine. And so we did two episodes and those are fun. They're all good. They're all good. They're all good. You should just and subscribe. <laughs> retail value 9.99 a little and, more than what you value of the year <laughs> <laughs> a little bit a little bit but yeah yeah um and uh people can find them uh and information all about you of course at your website um and i believe that is jeff is funny.com it is it is it is you know for the marketing geniuses out there it is jeff show.com but i didn't think people could spell dwaskin so <laughs> jeff is funny.com will also get you there but they both will get you there and of okay. course the jeff dwaskin show you know any any place you can find podcasts we are there so awesome awesome well we will have a link to that uh, particular site in our show notes and um yeah thanks again for joining us oh my god thanks for having me I love what you did with the place again, and uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to come back, and you finally get a little that little furniture in some of the areas that still need furniture. Furniture is <laughs> optional up here, you know. It's feng shui type stuff. This gets in the way, exactly. <laughs> and Mike starts throwing it around anyway, you know, especially when he sits on the wrestling show. So could understand that <laughs> let's take a quick break and we are going to be back in a minute and we are doing a shane black christmas 
So this is Christmas And what have you done Another year over And you won't just be gone Hey everybody, Michelle here with an Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. And on Monday of this week, the Grammy Hall of Fame announced 29 recordings that they are inducting into their Hall of Fame for the class of 2021. The Grammy Hall of Fame does not put in artists. It puts in singles and albums. Uh, these recordings have to be at least 25 years old and quote-unquote exhibit qualitative or historical significance. Uh, they have a special member committee that reviews all the eligible recordings, and then they, uh, their choices are approved by the Board of Trustees. So the 29 new recordings this year include uh, License Still by the Beastie Boys, Pearl Jam's 10, So by Peter Gabriel, uh, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, Bruce Springsteen, A Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory, Patty, Patty Smith's Horses, um, the Cars' first album, that makes me very happy. Uh, Journeys Don't Stop Believing, And YMCA by the Village People. It is a Hall of Fame recording, folks. Uh, if you want to go and check out this year's entire uh, class of 2021, and uh, they have just over 1,100 recordings in the Hall of Fame. You can also check out uh, previous classes. It's really pretty fascinating. Uh, go to Grammy.com. And legendary Dionne Warwick uh, has made a big splash getting onto Twitter. It's already been an SNL sketch. sketch. And uh, she famously asked Chance the Rapper, if you are very obviously a rapper, why did you put it in your stage name? I cannot stop thinking about this. And she also asked The Weeknd why his name was misspelled. Well, all three artists now are going to collaborate on a song. Uh, called Nothing's Impossible. It was written and produced by Dion's son, Damon Elliott, for a charity called Hunger Not Impossible. Uh, haven't seen a release date for this, probably early 2021, with all the limits on recording in person. Um, but Dion says that she is on a mission to end foolishness in 2021, and I am so glad that somebody is finally on that, and I have all the faith in the world that she can take care of it. Um, if you want to follow her on Twitter, she is at Dionne Warwick, D-I-O-N-N-E-W-A-R-W-I-C-K. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. Check out the blog. I have one at ESONetwork.com and another one, same name, at uh, IconicRockTalkShow.wordpress.com. Have a great week, great holiday, and we'll catch you next time. Are you tired of podcasts only covering good movies or bad movies? Where could you possibly turn to find both in one convenient place? There has got to be a better way. Well, now there is. Try the podcast Double-Edged Devil Bill, where Adam and Thomas dive into both a good and a bad film in every episode. Sound too good to be true? Well, listen to this testimonial. Double-Edged Double Bill got me to watch Total Recall and Junior in one night. I was both entertained and scarred permanently. Thanks, Double-Edged Double Bill. Available now on the ESO Network and wherever podcasts are streamed. And his smiled as he said With a twinkle in his eye Merry Christmas to all Now you're all gonna die The night Santa went crazy The night Saint Nick went insane Realized he'd been getting the wrong deal Something finally must have snapped in his brain 
everyone. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now for her first time hosting, let's welcome Ashley Pauls. And we are doing a Shane Black Christmas. Take it away, Ashley. Hello. Thank you so much. I am super excited to host tonight. Not even a positive COVID test today could stop me from coming on the station to host. So don't worry. I'm just calling in virtually, so I'm not going to affect infect those others of you on the station. But uh, <laughs> at least hopefully not. If you get any computer viruses, well, you'll know who to blame for that. It's a it's a historic moment for us. This is our first time having having someone with COVID on the show. So glad glad I guessed to help meet that historic milestone. So. <laughs> not but, not but a milestone it, that Ashley's but, worked your way up to actually was, hosting a segment. No, it's the first time we've had somebody with COVID. There you, you go. Know? <laughs> you know, it's, that's how she makes history. I I didn't think it was necessary to go that far extreme with it, but you know. Ashley's going to Ashley's going to do what Ashley's going to do. Have to leave my mark. <laughs> well, I feel like it's appropriate that we're going to be talking about some unconventional Christmas movies because it is a rather unconventional year here in 2020 and I believe we were actually inspired to do this topic. I think Alex and I got into a conversation when we were going through past movies this summer, what would be fun to do. So we suggested a Shane Black Christmas. And I know this will not come as a surprise, but before this moment, I had not seen hardly any of Shane Black's films. I think the only movie of his I had seen was Iron Man 3. And I know that movie was a little bit divisive amongst the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm actually an Iron Man 3 apologist. So being a fan of that somewhat controversial movie, I figured it was probably time to dive into some of Shane Black's other movies. So I spent the past week hitting some of the highlights from his career for the first time I watched Lethal Weapon, Long Kiss Goodnight, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and really enjoyed all three of those. So I'm very excited to dive in a little bit deeper. But to kind of get us kicked off, I thought we could all go around and talk a little bit about um, what our experiences with Shane Black movies and kind of how much we have noticed the Christmas setting in all of his movies and whether we think it's a gimmick or if it's a good framing device to tell a story. So, Alex, we'll start with you. Um, hi, I'm here. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think I found uh, Shane Black, uh, like a lot of early people did, um, seeing uh, uh, his work with Lethal Weapon. Um, and, and again, that was a very, especially for the 80s actioners, that was very unconventional because... 80s action movies kind of went in two different directions, either super serious, no humors allowed, or wackiness. And um, Lethal Weapon being an R-rated movie with a suicidal main character uh, was definitely something different uh, and something new. And uh, that's kind of how I found him. I, I really... Uh, became a Shane Black fan with uh, uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, which I'm sure we'll be talking about uh, a little bit later. But yeah, I kind of I, I kind of caught the early uh, Shane Black train with uh, with Lethal Weapon, um, but really came into appreciating his work later on. And so I have to ask, since you are our box office king, how do have Shane Black movies done historically as a box office? I know Iron Man three did pretty well, but how have some of his non big franchise movies performed? <laughs> You know, he's he's actually one where, uh, you know, for a while, uh, when when he sold Long Kiss Goodnight, 
Um, he, he sold it for uh, a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, I believe it was $4.5 million. It was the largest specs, uh, largest amount spec script wise uh, that he had ever done. And he didn't do too bad for himself considering the fact that it was directed by Rennie, uh, Rennie Harlan and starred Gina Davis the year after Cutthroat Island. Um, but the fact is, is that uh, Black kind of got a lot of people irritated with him and, and saying that he was a sellout. So he pulled back heart and was ready to do movies that he was interested in doing as opposed to just belting out blockbusters. Um, so a film like kiss, kiss, bang, bang uh, was more along the lines of a passion project for him. And the fact is, is that with passion projects, you really don't care what the box office did. Um, I think he does well for himself, but I don't think that, no one's ever sat, you know, run out and gone, oh, this is going to be a $100 million feature. It's written and directed by Shane Black. So I think in the long run, uh, this is one of those weird times where as the box office guy, I'm kind of, an, uh, I'm kind of at a, a misnomer in this one simply because for, even for Shane, it doesn't matter. That's a good point. Yeah, some directors are definitely more into the style and doing what they want to do regardless of how much it makes at the box office. Yeah. I think, though, I think he, you can state, though, that from most studios, he's a marketable name. Oh, uh, absolutely. If you put like, oh, I very mean, much so. Yeah. That's the reason he was involved with Iron Man 3, you know, for good or bad. Um, and with the last Predator movie, I mean, I think they made it a point. They they all but called it like Shane Black's Predator. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because he was one of the actors in the original. <laughs> it's true. He was it's the true. first one to die by the time, <laughs> actually. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I, I stink as an actor, but I'm okay as a writer. Um, so, yeah. I, he His name is... Uh, don't get me wrong. Obviously, his name is, is certainly one worth mentioning. We wouldn't be doing this show tonight. If we didn't think that um, it, it's just the fact is, is that when it comes to him directly, I don't think he's a guy that looks at those numbers. I think that's um, a good, good point. So Mike or Mike, either Mike, what is your uh, background with Shane Black? Well, for me, probably lethal weapon was my first exposure to him. And, you know, Right there, that ties for a Christmas movie. And it's, you know, it was interesting because from that point on, whenever I saw a Shane Black movie, I compared it to Lethal Weapon. And, you know, just, you know, the, it has the good cop and the, you know, the crazy one. It seemed like most of his movies had that kind of formula to it. But it, it was really interesting with that. So for me, it has to be the, the very first Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I saw Lethal Weapon in the theater. I can't believe it was 1987. Uh, that that blows my mind uh, that it was that long ago. Um, but at the time, I was really um, interested in you know the going on behind the scenes. And I was even subscribing to Variety and, and getting all the, the, the magazines like that note. And uh, Shane Black was like the golden child. Uh, coming out of um, Lethal Weapon, he was, I don't think there was a name 
certainly a writer's name that was as hot as his was. Um, as as uh, Alex mentioned, I mean, he was offered a ridiculous amount of money for his screenplays after that, uh, culminating, I think, in in uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, which I think he was made like $4 million, which he sold that script for, which at that time was insane. It was insane. And so there was a lot of backlash on him. Um, and, uh, because suddenly, you know, his movies weren't not performing, uh, you know, he stumbled out of the gate with, um, uh, with last boy scout, um, and then long kiss goodnight as well. Um, and so I think, yeah, to, uh, you know, so for a while he disappeared. Um, cause I think like Alex said, he just said, I'm done. Uh, and I'm going to go away for a little while. And I think even he says later on, I, I read an interesting interview with him recently, and he said um, that, you know, maybe he spent a little too, too much time away, but <laughs> um, because I don't think he meant to go away that long, but, um, and so now he's back and, but he's, he's one of the guys that when you look at the eighties seminal action movies, um, he's the guy. Um, and like, we wouldn't, I know that, you know, we're talking about, you know, Christmas movies and, you know, I think one of the debates that we're going to probably get into is what defines a Christmas movie and are these Christmas movies, et cetera, et cetera. And, and more than Lethal Weapon, I think everybody points to Die Hard as being like, is it a Christmas movie? Is it not a Christmas movie, et cetera, et cetera. And I always think in my head that he wrote Die Hard because it just seems like a Shane Black movie. Um, it's not a Shane Black movie, although I will argue with anybody, just because I like to, but I will argue with anybody that he, if He's it wasn't so for Lethal Weapon, you know? yeah, if it wasn't for Lethal Weapon, we would not have uh, a Die Hard. And, and Die Hard, like he actually, I think Shane Black even came up with the title, Die Hard. Shane Black was originally going to use the title mm. Die Hard for uh the last boy scout yes yes that's right and joel silver liked it and said no let's put it on this thing right joel silver was like can we use it for the for, for this movie yep. um and uh yeah so so uh so he's got some association association with it but yeah i mean he changed i mean not single-handedly but he he is the guy that changed and and still to this day action movies oh like a debt to shane black because of what he did in the 80s for sure so what is everyone's favorite Shane Black movie? If you had to pick one that stands out from the rest, what would you pick? And what are your thoughts on how Christmas is used in that film? I would say of the ones that I watched, my favorite was uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And interestingly, it was the first one I watched in the series. Part of that may be because I just really love Robert Downey Jr. So it already hooked me in just because he was in it. But I really like the way that... Um, um, Shane Black uses Christmas. I think he takes, it could easily just be a gimmick, but he works it into the movie enough. It's not a Christmas movie in the sense like Elf or Miracle on 34th Street are, but I like that he uses this backdrop of a time that's supposed to be kind of peaceful and festive and then has these like really violent, over-the-top, crazy action sequences going on. So I think it really draws you in as a viewer, kind of sets you off balance. It's not something that you're necessarily expecting, but I really enjoyed that one. And it was fun to see some of the common themes throughout his movies, ideas he picked up and then carried and maybe even improved upon a little bit throughout some of his scripts, but curious to hear what others think as well. Again, as much as I love Lethal Weapon, 
long kiss goodnight. Um, it is insane. It is over the top. Um, there's so many little things inside um, that that are just so cleverly done in that movie. Uh, you have Gina Davis, who starts off, you know, as like, I don't remember what my life was like before, you know, I was pulled out of a river pregnant. And uh, they gave her the name Sam Kane, which was an anagram for in, uh, for amnesiac, uh, which I thought was just brilliant. And it turns out that her real name's Charlie Baltimore, and she's a hired assassin. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, when you find out that the charismatic villains, the dad and all this other stuff, it's crazy. Um, but it's just a movie that the, the chemistry between all of the characters, uh, is so good because Sam, Samuel L. Jackson, who is, and again, there's that Christmas connection because like he's trying to buy the cool gift for his, for his kid, uh, that he's not allowed to see. Um, and you know, the, all of the festivities, She's seen on TV by a guy who's trying to kill her as she's the Christmas parade queen or the, the, the Mrs. Santa. Um, and, uh, and there's a reindeer issue in that movie too. Now I'm thinking about it. Um, so there's just, there's just a lot of great subtlety in the way that they work a lot of the characters and, and abruptness with some of the characters, but the, the, uh, the Christmas aspect is used so well uh, in that film because it feels like a Christmas movie up until the moment that she flings a butcher's knife at a guy's head. Um, so, happy holidays. You know, I, happy holidays, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I just think that it uh, it's a solid film all the way around. It's definitely my favorite, and it's one that I will watch over and over again. And something that I appreciate that you brought up was, like, the chemistry between the leads. I think he does a good job with kind of that buddy cop feeling, like I loved uh, Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson, and then in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. Just He does a mm-hmm. great job setting up people that are kind of opposites and work well and have good banter off of each other. Mm-hmm. Damon Wayans and Bruce Willis in The Last Boy Scout. Those two were at like the height of of their stuff right there. And putting the getting the two of them together for that uh and bouncing off the dialogue. In fact, one of the lines from uh Last Boy Scout is used in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And it was the uh we've had a great time tomorrow we're going to the <laughs> Yep, yes. So. Nice touch. Well, I thought it was kind of interesting also, like with the nice guys, how it was a retro film and, you know, mm-hmm. and, but they also, he also had the buddy cop once again, and it's cause he does it well. And he also does great dialogue, the dialogue and the banter between the two char- the two main characters in most of his movies is really, really well. He He makes good duo dialogue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He makes good dialogue. He, well, he's he, the king of the bromance. Yeah. Well, you know? even you know, look at Iron Man three. You know the like the the stuff they had between Iron Man and Rhodey. You know, it was almost the same way between Tony Stark and. But then you even threw Pepper in there too. So you know, so it's it's interesting. You know, all right, maybe I'm pushing on Iron Man 3 a little bit, but, you know, might be. Are you saying that's your favorite Shane Black film? Oh, God, it's yes, getting late. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> it's no. time to go home. <laughs> Wrap it up. Uh, no. 
So no, it, it was interesting, and you know, it's a, it's it's formulaic, and he is a formulaic writer, you know, completely, and you know, you're not really surprised, but really in any of his movies, you know, you know, w- once he got through the first two or three, you kind of know how the you know the arcs are going to go with the stories. You, it's the same thing with Tarantino, though. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's going to have the pop culture references mixed with the pop culture references, and then there'll be a pop culture reference, and then feet. <laughs> um, I, at least with Shane Black, you don't get the feet thing. Good point. Um, no, I, I I do feel like like you know you don't look at it at first. That's a big thing with a Shane Black film is you don't sit there and go, oh, it's a buddy film. You don't see that. I mean, Iron Man three is even a buddy film. It's him and the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's a buddy film, but you just don't see it. And with Shane Black, Shane Black's got this ability of making a buddy cop film and make it not feel like one, even after he invented the genre with Lethal Weapon. <laughs> so, uh, Mike Gordon, what's your favorite Shane Black movie, and why? Well, um, you know, I think um, I think what is it? Six movies that he's done are, are Christmas movies, right? There's, there's six Shane Black movies, and I, I think four of them are his best work, um, and that would be *Lethal Weapon*, uh, *Long Kiss Goodnight*, *Kiss Kiss Bang Bang*, and *Nice Guys*. Um, I, I kind of rotate as to which one is my favorite, depending on which one I just last saw. <laughs> so, uh, if you're asking me right now. I just saw Nice Guys. Um, I actually, in preparation for this, I, I, I didn't have a lot of time to watch them all. So I, I, saw, I watched the first one he did, which was Lethal Weapon. And I watched the most recent one he did, Nice Guys. It's amazing how many parallels there are in that movie. Uh, to Mike said, I mean, I, you know, he's just kind of refining the formula. Um, but um, what, I, what I really appreciate about Shane Black now is that um, these are action movies. Uh, but they're also neo-noir movies. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I said many times on the show that I've recently become a huge fan of of crime noir movies, uh, film noir uh, as a whole. And and a lot of people think that that's old black and white, you know, stuff. But it's 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 a tone and um, it's a way of thinking uh, that happens in a movie that I think um, Shane Black really appreciates. And, um, you know, all his characters, most of them uh, are very cynical, but they're also kind of man on the street guys. These are not like, you know, he doesn't pair up the wealthy, you know, rich guy with the poor guy. You know, he he gets two guys that are, you know, they might have different backgrounds, but they you kind of see both of their point of views. Right. And even though I think Lethal Weapon is a great example of this, where you've got two people who are completely different and yet. You know, they struggle to work to work together, but by the end, they're partners for life. And uh, I, I think that's true of, uh, you know, like a lot of these movies and and Nice Guys is just like the, the latest iteration of it. it I, I still think I guess in some ways he's still tweaking that formula. But um, I think to Mike's point, he has to make the nice guys, um, you know, take place in 77 because a lot of the things that he likes to do, a lot of the way his movies work, don't work in this new environment. Uh, like if you put a cell phone 
in any Shane Black plot, it falls apart. <laughs> in Iron Man 3, it legitimately does. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, so, I agree um, with that completely, that, you know, it is a formula that in 2020 might not work as well. But I think if they, he tweaks it a little bit, it possibly could work. Oh, I still give him hope that, you know, he'll come up with something. Uh, I mean, he always makes it fresh. You know, nice guys, even though it has a lot of similarities to Lethal Weapon, because uh, I watched them pretty much back to back this weekend. Um, it's not the same. They, they both feel just as fresh. And and that's what he's able to do as well. He's able to bring the he's able to bring these characters because they're not the same. They're not cookie cutter characters. He takes these characters and he really makes them unique. And you you know you don't really care what the plot is. You don't really care what the MacGuffin is, so to speak. You don't really care. You just like watching these characters interact. Oh, for sure. And something that impressed me was watching the Lethal Weapon long kiss goodnight and kiss kiss bang bang within days of each other. I think these were each made in a different decade. And of course, you can kind of tell Lethal Weapon has 80s elements and long kiss goodnight has 90s elements, but it's not dated in the way some of its peers are. Again, just because the characters feel real and he's touching on some relevant issues. So it was still just as enjoyable to watch, I feel, as a brand new viewer coming into it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because I would have liked to seen, you know, his version of Lethal Weapon 2. Because, you know, he loved... Well, it's basically the same version, except uh, Rick the endings. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's well. No, no. I mean, he doesn't die in the ver- the version that was filmed. Oh. So yeah. Uh, and he and he walked off the project because they wouldn't let him kill him. Exactly. Yeah, and it's very weird because the end of Lethal Weapon Two gives the implication that he could have died. Oh yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, he, very much. But so. then he gets better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's feeling much better. Now. I'm, I'm, not, I'm I'm feeling dead. better. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Um. Yeah, so um, it would be interesting. I, I, you know what? Oddly enough, I, I know he wrote Lethal Weapon four. Um, he came back to the franchise mm. for, that, for that last one, but I didn't. I have that's the one I haven't seen out of all of them. I don't remember any Christmas in that. <laughs> well, contrary to, he doesn't have Christmas in all his movies. Just most. Sure, just most. <laughs> I think. Most. I think. I don't think there's Christmas in Last Action Hero. Uh, and I know from uh, the Predator, the last Predator movie that he made, uh, there's no Christmas. And Monster Squad. No, that was just a Christmas gift to all of us. And, and Monster Squad is a completely different holiday. <laughs> yes, yes. I keep forgetting that he was involved with Monster Squad. That's... He was involved with uh, Alien 3, too, but he doesn't like to talk about that. Who does? <laughs> <laughs> That's what was missing from that movie was Christmas. Would have made it. It would have made it such a better film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the box art alone. I'm just, you know, Christmas gift with, you know. You know. Um, 
So since we are a geek-focused podcast, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into Iron Man 3. This is probably... No. (laughs) Sorry, Alex, we got to go there. We got to go there. She's the host. Yeah, we got to go in there. We're going there. I thought... This is why they don't let me (laughs) This one was interesting in its filmography because it's a big franchise. Like, getting a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie is what some people would say. You've arrived in the big leagues. You've had a big blockbuster how do we feel that taking shane black's style in and fitting it into the mcu worked i'm was personally a fan of it i like that he brought kind of a unique style took away iron man's suit and just had him as tony stark and kind of let him do his thing but how do others feel that his style worked within the mcu was that a misassignment or do we think it was a good experiment i think we've seen uh with the marvel has its own take on what they their own style and whenever we've seen someone who has a unique style a specific style there's a clash um and there's a conflict and it doesn't end up working and i and i you know i mean edgar wright is the the prime example of what happened with him on on ant-man but i think a little bit of that has uh, is with um is evident in iron man 3 i think sometimes it feels like a shane black movie and then sometimes it doesn't um it sometimes it feels like a marvel movie and it seemed while you're watching it it has a conflict in tone um and style throughout um and i think that's uh, in my mind that's something that hurts that movie with Iron Man 3, um, the movie only works when you remember that it's being told in flashback form by Tony Stark, which means that those moments where Tony is super heroic for no basic reason, it's because it's Tony's ego <laughs> that we're listening to. And I really feel like the movie would have been better with more Tony voiceover work. Hmm. Unreliable narrator. More reminders that you're hearing it from his point of view. From an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. For a very unreliable narrator. Um, And because of that, uh, I I feel that there's times when, yes, the movie is in conflict with itself. Um, I... Like, I don't think I've seen Iron Man 3 since the theaters. Um, but that said, I also feel that Marvel has some issues when doing sequels. Um, Winter Soldier, brilliant. Ragnarok, outstanding. Civil War is Avengers 3. Um and, and then it's kind of hard to, to really press for a great sequel. I mean, aside from, you know, Endgame, but that was the second half of a story. Um, I, I I think when it comes to, to trying to do a sequel, especially after it's been established what the character is like, having a director like Shane Black come in and and do Iron Man three is a huge testament to one a great director and a great writer, but it's a challenge trying to fit that into the mold of a Marvel movie. And I think with with Iron Man 
the the series of Iron Man films, you have the story of the superhero. And putting Shane Black into a superhero story is a little interesting. Yeah, because we don't know, like, like was the villain his idea? You know, was certain things where he had to check off certain boxes to make sure we're in there, and maybe he was not un- he was uncomfortable with some of those boxes. I don't really know his history behind exactly what happened on Iron Man three, um, but I, like I said, just watching the movie and knowing the rest of his work you can just see that conflict. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like, sort of like what happens with justice league when you have two different directors mashing together in this one movie and you can see, you know, the difference right there, this is happening with one director, but you know, they're overseeing it. And, uh, and look, I'm not complaining. Marvel does what it does and it does what it does really well. And um, you know, but if you've got somebody with a singular vision, perhaps it's not a good idea for them to 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 hire them you know because ultimately they're not going to be happy i am kind of curious to see what happens as the mcu kind of expands out here and maybe we can get more standalone stories and that might be a nice time to let some distinctive directors take a crack at stuff it's hard to like make everything have a unified tone and we're all leading towards end game but if we can diverge a little bit might be cool to see what some uh directors like Shane Black or maybe maybe Edgar Wright never wants to work with them again. But I would love to someday see Edgar Wright take a crack at an MCU movie. So hopefully there might be a space for a little bit more of that going forward. Yeah. And again, to be fair, Iron Man 3 did 409 million domestic. <laughs> which is probably uh, more than all four of his times. I was going to say, isn't that more than, than all of it, weapon. it? It's going to be more than all of his others combined, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's 12 <laughs> the nice guys is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, yeah, maybe we don't know. It's four about. lethal weapons. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's exactly four lethal weapons, which I find amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it is like, you know, it is like 12, the nice guys. So, so where does uh, Shane Black rank for all of us as a filmmaker in terms of people that have really distinctive style? How do you think he matches up to like Edgar Wright, Quentin Tarantino? Is he up there with the greats or is he pretty good, entertaining for a good time? Kind of where do you think he falls along that kind of the Hollywood A-list? Mm, an excellent good question. question, actually, Ashley. Wow. She has been taking her notes. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm not prepared to be on a show with Sorry. the <laughs> um, yeah. That's why Alex enjoys being on our show otherwise. You know? <laughs> that, uh, uh, no, I think, you know, I mean, he's, uh, um, you know, if I see a Shane, if I see Shane Black's names attached to something, um, it, the, the best compliment I can give is that I do have an idea of what I'm going to get. And, uh, and I'm not disappointed. Uh, it's very rare that you come out. Uh, in fact, I can't think of a Shane Black movie that I've come out and gone, well, I really didn't like that. You know, I mean, even Iron Man 3, I was like, okay, there, there's some good in that. There's there's some real entertainment in that. Um, that's a movie that's going to be like four lethal weapons at the box office. Um, it's it's one of those things that, you know, you, you just kind of enjoy. Um, I... I don't know that I rank my directors, um, but he's in a class where when you hear his name, you do get a visual. Tarantino, 
Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, Shane Black. What about you, uh, Mike Faber? Where does kind of he rank for you? For me, I probably would put him like a tier under a Tarantino or even a Kevin Smith or that level of director because, you know, I couldn't tell you the last time I went to see a Shane Black movie in the theater. So, you know, it's not like I'm running to go see a Shane Black movie. Yeah, I think he's a fun director, but I would say, yeah, in terms of directors that sell a movie, like if it says Tarantino, I'm going to see it just because I want to see what he came up with. And Edgar Wright is another one like that for me. Just his style is so distinctive. He's so creative and quirky. I want to see it just based on his name. Uh, what about you, Mike Gordon? How does he rank for you? Um, well, personally, I, I enjoy his work quite a bit. And I think his best work is ones where he writes and directs and controls everything. Um, so Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys, I think I would put above uh, the others just because they're, 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 black, they're Shane Black at its purest form. Right. So I would um, I think he's best that way. Um, I mean, it just depends on what you're looking for. But I, I don't you know, is Shane Black ever going to be like, you know, is he ever going to get the American Film Institute Award for, you know, is his contributions? Probably not. You know, like, um, uh, is he but I mean, he has already once at least in his life changed the industry and made an impact. Um so, uh, you know, I think, I think that in and of itself is something that very few people can say. Um, and his name is marketable. So, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if his, if his name's on something, I'm interested and I will see it in the theater. Cause I have been seeing most of his movies in the theater and, um, and I, and I just can't wait to see what he does next, which I think is a version of Doc Savage, which I'm kind of interested in in seeing what he does there. But he likes he likes that noir stuff. He likes pulp stuff. He likes so I think Doc Savage is interesting, um, but it's also going to be a lot of eyes and big budget. I don't know who's starring in that one, but um, is that is that the one with the Rock? I thought it was Scarlett somebody. Johansson <laughs> as Doc Savage. Awesome. <laughs> As Doc said, yeah, yeah, yeah. as all the characters. No, it, um, yeah. well, it says here that uh, the Rock is attached <clears throat> to it. So, <clears throat> you know, I think I think that combination uh, with the Rock and Shane Black might be something that the Rock has really been missing from his movies too, where he hasn't had that that unique director to really up his game. He and the Rock's got that ability because if you saw the movie Be Cool, mm-hmm. he can do a noir mm-hmm. style uh, uh, kind of thing, even if Doc Savage isn't. Yeah, it, if, it, it leans heavily towards the pulp side of if things. If you give him sharp dialogue, and I mean, yes. he can handle it. Um, yeah. You know, he could be like, uh, you know, it could be like another combination. Uh, well, like with, with Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon, uh, actually Danny Glover, like that. I mean, talk about a movie making a career. Danny Glover mm-hmm. was, you know, good, but nobody really knew who he was. And the Lethal Weapon, everybody now knows who Danny Glover is. Um, um, and the same thing with like with Schwarzenegger and Cameron, right? Like they had that, that, you know, that relationship where they made like some classic movies. And I think the potential is there. Um, not to put too much pressure on it, but, you know, I kind of hope that that plays out because I would love to see that. 
Yeah, no, I think that would be good. And something else I might kind of like to see Shane Black do is do like a super stylized black and white noir kind of thing. That might be kind of fun to see him play with some different techniques like that. Um, I do find it really cool that, I mean, the relationship that he has with Robert Downey Jr. works yes. very well. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's they're they've done three movies. Is that right? Um, did uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. They did Iron Man 3. Um, is Is he not? Wait, isn't he in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Too many yeah, movies Robert with Downey Kiss Jr. in the title. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said, yeah, it's the it's the other kissing movie. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man three. I think the only two that they worked on together. But um, I would love I to mean, see clearly, them collaborate again. Yes, agreed. Yeah, I think they'd be great. Mm-hmm. They yeah. have a good energy when they work together. Yeah. Just just to ask, um, because we've mentioned some really big name. Uh, directors in regards to Shane Black. Um, how does everybody feel about Black or uh, Chris Nolan? Because clearly Nolan stuff is Nolan. Yes. And uh, Black stuff is is Black. So I was just kind of curious uh, if, if, you were, if you were going to the movie and you saw two screens, one's a Chris Nolan movie, one's a Shane Black film, which, which way are you headed? Oh, for me, it's, it, yeah, it's Nolan. Yeah. Oh, probably same. I, I might actually lean more towards black. Interesting. Actually. Mm. So um, that's just why I, why I was curious. That's a good question, though, because both of them have their core audiences. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and so, but there's crossover, obviously. We're, we're all fans yeah. of both. Um, and it's just interesting to see, you know, each one has their style. Each one has, you know, their ways of doing things with films. And it's going to be interesting to see because Chris Nolan, like we've talked before, each one of his movies are epic. And each one of his movies are completely different. Mm-hmm. Where yes. where Shane Black is more you kind of know what you're going to get, you know, overall. It's like I said earlier, very formulaic mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Smaller you know, scale but, and scope. But exactly. But you know, you're going to get quality too at the same time. It's an excellent so, point. I'd say Nolan's more ambitious as mm-hmm. a filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, pushing the art form, um, not to diminish black at all, but um, you know, just to use that example, but you know, they're apples and oranges really. Yeah. I mean, if you asked uh, Nolan to to make a Shane Black movie, he he wouldn't be able yeah. to do it. <laughs> that would be an interesting combo. <laughs> they both trade styles I, for I, a movie. I think I think the closest he gets would be like Memento. Mm-hmm. Memento would be yeah. his attempt at a Shane Black movie, and you know that's that's uh, as close as it gets. Well, awesome. Well, I have really enjoyed this discussion this evening. And to round us out, I have kind of a funny, more lighthearted question. So Shane Black has commented that he's going to maybe try to get away from the Christmas setting just because he doesn't want it to become a gimmick. So what holiday would you like to see his next movie set around? I would like to see him do a Valentine's Day movie just because I think that's kind of an over-commercialized holiday and I think he could do something really quirky and crazy and funny with a Valentine's Day set movie. But what what are some here, other... Here I was going to say Hanukkah. Yes. Would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. And stays in the month of December, exactly. which is beautiful. See? Um, yeah, I think you get, uh, you get Jason Schwartzman 
and uh oh let's put russell crowe back in there yeah why not and 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 do and do a hanukkah i'm ready to buy my ticket Um, (laughs) i would say uh, actually simply because um i I would love to see it i want a colin farrell saint patrick's day crime movie Mm. Mm. yes uh you know i was going to be flipping say arbor day uh but um uh Dude, I mean, it just makes sense, right? Um, it's, just, it's right there. <laughs> but uh, but no, if I was ser- I'm seriously thinking about it, um, and it's a good question because I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but um, if I'm really thinking about it, I think Father's Day mm. would be, um, and, and him develop a sort of father-son relationship movie um, would be really interesting. So um, the, the, the daughter in uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, actually is in both kiss kiss bang bang and iron man three and so you could just continue that <laughs> and make it a father daughter there you go shane black's cinematic uh, and, universe uh, the shane black cinematic universe with this girl as was, the was watcher, she not available to play the daughter in nice guys is that is it supposed <laughs> to be the same character <laughs> no it's no it, oh no i'm sorry i'm sorry it's, it's nice guys and um and Iron Man three because oh, in Iron Man three she's she's one of the pageant uh, contestants and in the nice guys she's the porn queen ah well there so, you go going from both sides yeah so it was like twenty years <laughs> later uh, between between roles for her so well there you go well Shane Black if you're listening we have some ideas for your next movie although stick with that or that Arbor Day thing because that's awesome yeah yeah. Um, starring Groot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Plus exclusive series. Vin Diesel. Yes. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Vin Diesel in a Shane Black movie. Vin Diesel in a Shane Black movie. We call it uh, a tree grows in Scranton or something like that, and just go from there. Just be careful of uh, Dunder Mifflin there or something. <laughs> yeah. Too many crossovers. Not enough. Well, thank you all. Thank you all for letting me do my first hosting. And um, I enjoyed chatting about these movies with you all. Awesome. Great job. Go watch them on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. Yes, wherever you can get them. Awesome. Well, let's take a break. And we are going to be back with a return of a long lost segment. We have the con report coming back. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the finale for The Mandalorian Season 2. So, Season 2 of The Mandalorian has been a wild ride. If you have not seen the last episode yet, I suggest coming back and listening to this after you do, since I would love for you all to watch it fresh and not have any spoilers, because it is a wonderful episode. So, Din and the gang got the location of Moff Gideon's cruiser last episode, and they are going to go save baby Grogu. They decide to also get the help of Bo-Katan and her friend Casca, since they know Bo-Katan wants the Darksaber and Moff Gideon has the Darksaber. They come up with a plan to get onto his cruiser, get the kid, and take the ship for Bo-Katan's efforts to take back Mandalore. We got to see some really awesome 
female characters taking on stormtroopers in this episode and basically the, the ladies take the ship it was awesome so while all that's going on din goes to try and stop and get rid of the dark troopers before they are you know booted up and take the ship and we also get to see a really cool fight between din and a dark trooper with him taking it down in the end which took him a lot because that thing was tough and then we also see him fight Moff Gideon with the Darksaber and the Beskar staff that he had from earlier episodes. And then he finally gets Baby Grogu back. But during all this, when he brings Moff Gideon back to everyone else, he gets some pretty dirty looks from Bo-Katan since she needed to take back the Darksaber, which he yielded to her. And it seems that she now feels differently by taking the Darksaber that way, unlike how she did when Sabine gave it to her in Rebels. So don't know what's going on there, and it's going to make for some interesting dynamic next season, I think. The Dark Troopers, being droids, fly back into the cruiser because, you know, that's what they do, and start making their way to the main area where everyone is. But while all this is going on, we see an X-Wing come in from hyperspace and dock into the ship. And now, before all of this had happened, I made a list of who I thought was coming for Baby Grogu, which Jedi was going to come. My choices were Ezra or Luke, and it was Luke. So we got to see a really awesome lightsaber fight, reminiscent of Darth Vader's from Rogue One. And then we got to see Luke and R2-D2 take Grogu with them to be trained. But not before a very heart-wrenching scene between Den and Grogu where Den removed his helmet. And now this also makes me think that we may get the search for Ezra and Thrawn in the Ahsoka series, since Dave Filoni has kind of hinted to it all throughout this episode with all the Rebels connections. So I loved this episode, and it had a ton of action, lots of strong female Star Wars characters in live action. Like, we've seen so many in the cartoons, but we haven't really gotten so many live action scenes like that. And if you stayed for after the credits, we got a look at The Book of Boba Fett, which will be a separate show airing early December 2021 before the premiere of Mandalorian Season 3 at Christmas 2021. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Welcome back to Earth Station One for the week of, ready for this folks, December 25th. It's the ESO Network Con Report! <laughs> I know it's been so long. Well, 2021 is almost upon us, and we're going to start off with convention news right from the beginning of the first weekend of the year. January 1st through January 3rd is CromCon X, or is it CromCon 10? It, it, to tell it, us more it, about it is uh, Pops Van Zandt. Pops, welcome to the station. How you doing? Thanks for having me, guys. It is 10. This it is 10. Be, this will be the 10th time I've done this. It's this awesome is amazing. 
it's it's an online thing that I I started doing when ECCC went down. Ah, okay, okay. Right in the beginning, okay, it was like I have a lot of friends that had money invested in tables that didn't get their money back. You know, they didn't have nothing to look forward to for the whole summer. And it, I started doing these online cons right away to give them a place to at least go out and try to sell some stuff. You know, no guarantees or anything, but it started out little in, in my Facebook group, the comic related madness. And there was about 400 people in it then, you know, and we did the first one, the first weekend in April, and we've done it the first weekend ever since. This will be the 10th. Wow. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, you know, Con X sounds, uh, yeah, sounds a little bit foreboding. So Con, <laughs> Crom Con 10 sounds much better. So, um, um, well, very impressive um, that you're able to do this. Uh, and this is uh, an online virtual convention that takes place. Is it on YouTube? Is that right? On, it's on Comic Talk with Pops Van Zandt on YouTube. Gotcha. And we broadcast it to the comic related madness on Facebook. And this time it got, we've been picked up by NSC live TV, which is how I met you guys. And we're going nationwide, baby. Nationwide. <laughs> well, uh, tell us about some of the talent you've got lined up for this convention. Now this is going to be, um, like I said, online. So you're going to have a various, is it, is it sort of panels? It's interviews, that kind of thing. <laughs> It's a little bit of everything. We we start out the, the weekend on, on Friday night and we'll have four individual guests that each have 30 minute time slots to do their thing, uh, pitch what they're selling, whatever their Kickstarter or, or whatever they got going on. We give them 30 minutes to talk about it. We ask them questions. We let the, the people in the comments section ask them questions, whatnot. And then we always end every evening with a panel. So the first, like I said, Friday is like the kickoff show. We go on at 8, 8 p.m. and we just do a few guests and a panel. And then at noon on Saturday and Sunday, noon Eastern, we start and we go all day until nine o'clock at night. And then we end both evenings with open panels. Mm-hmm. Um, both hosted, one's hosted by Phil Leon. And uh, the other the other one this time we brought in Indie Bolt. The whole crew from Indie Bolt is going to be out to do uh, the the panel on Saturday night. So it's I'm I'm kind of excited about what's going on. It's we have some people like like Mike Barron of Punisher Nexus. He has been in nine out of ten of our cons. Um, didn't make one of them for some kind of a family issue, but. You know, it's like we have people that come back every time. We have some a bunch of new people every time. So it's like it really grows um, the group that, like I said, we started out doing this in April with 400 people. The Facebook group is now right on the cusp of 2000. And I mean, we're just taking off. We're going three days. We're going we got people from five different countries, 40 plus creators, podcasters. Um, just whatever, you know, I mean, we have editors, writers, artists, um, people who wear all them hats at once. We, we got it all. It's, it's amazing fun. Um, Hasm Productions, all kinds of different people. Lucifer Storm, uh, the book Lady Satan, Frank James Bailey, who's been a huge help to me, been a, been a co-host 
for me before in CromCon. He's going to be out there talking about his book. It's we just have a great time, man. And um, I don't even know. It's like we got head salad. Um, Tobias Kodachrome, he makes like these awesome shadow boxes out of old, out of comics. And some of them have the actual comic in them with, with stuff around it. Some of them are just, but everything he does is amazing. And he'll be out there for a half hour Sunday night showing off what he does. Uh, Mike Faber is going to be out there. Sunday. What? What? <laughs> That's news to me. No. <laughs> um, Brian K. Morris from Rising Tide Publications. He, he's going to come out. It's just every time it's amazing. We have some new people, some old people, Sean Howe, um, great artists, great writers, people who do kids' books, people who do, you know, right on the cusp of, of as R-rated as you can get. We got it all, and we we love doing it, you know. It is it is a great service that you're providing, especially at this – I mean, even during normal times, but pre-pandemic – um, you know, getting your stuff out there, especially for indie creators, not an easy thing to do. So this kind of service is, was welcome then, even more so now with uh, conventions, actual physical conventions being really scarce. So um, I love the idea of this. Is this something that um, people can only watch live as it ha- it's happening or is it oh, no. you- Oh, watch no, I, it like the past ones. Yeah, I have most of the past ones are on the Facebook channel. You comment talk with Pops fans and um, a couple of them that we did. We were on the Comics Cast platform. You can see them there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like we've we've bounced around trying to figure out where we can do the people the most good. Um, like I said, this this was I was a fan. I was not a con organizer i was not any of these things i was a comic book fan and my friends were hurting and i just tried to help that's all this ain't never been about anything about making money or nothing like that i don't charge to them for their for their time slots this is about you guys man and and what i can do to help you guys have given me a service creatives have given me a lifetime of enjoyment Okay, a lifetime of enjoyment through comics and and graphic um, novels and, and art and whatnot. And I'm just trying to give a little back, a little bit of it back, man. And and that is a that is a very welcome sentiment. Uh, I I I have so much respect for you for that. It's just, I mean, for a lot of people say that, but then to put your quote unquote money where your mouth is, you know, to do something about it is another thing altogether. And this is. This is great. I, I definitely encourage people to check out the past ones as well as the new one that's coming up uh, the first weekend of January. Is the plan to continue on uh, throughout 2021 as well? It, you know, when I started doing it, it was like, we're going to do this until the cons come back. Now, I was very spontaneous when I did it. Okay, I was like, first come, first weekend of every month, not thinking my son's birthday is the beginning of the month. My birthday is <laughs> at the beginning of the month. I sat in this chair on my birthday. I sat in this chair on my son's birthday. I had to have somebody else do my con to be at my son's wedding. So we decided that in February, we're going to flip flop and go to the last weekend of the month. But we are going to do it until there's, until nobody wants to do it anymore. Makes sense. 
You know, I mean, as long as I put up the sign-up sheet and it fills up, we're going to do it. And my hope, my dream is to someday be able to go out on an actual con floor, like maybe Grand Rapids, someplace close to me, and actually meet some of these people that I've interviewed live and interview them and the fan across the table from them at the same time. Mm. I really want to get that experience now that I've done this virtually. You know what I mean? It's like I interview people, I see the fans' comments. I want to talk to both of them at the same time and maybe do it live. So that's kind of like where I'm thinking it's going to go someday. Maybe I'll do prom con from different con floors. Well, um, like I said, it's amazing. It's amazing that uh, you've done 10 of these. And I mean, I guess the difference between actually doing a regular convention is usually people we talk to who've hosted uh, at least uh, 10 conventions uh, have no longer have their hair. They, uh, they're really stressed out all the time and, uh, it really takes a toll. So, so the fact that you put 10 of these together and are still as passionate about it as day one, uh, is, is outstanding. Sir. The whole thing is, is that I'm have I have fun. Okay. Yes. I never had this much fun in comics. I used to read them and enjoy them. But now in the last 10 months, I've got to meet so many of the people whose books are in these boxes and, and in these filing cabinets. And, and they'll be like, hey, I did this. And I'm, I'm running over there pulling the book out. You did this? You know, now I'm a whole new appreciation for all these people. And it's just been amazing, man. And I'm having fun. Okay, I sit in this chair. I promote this. I, I set up the scheduling. I do all the promoting. Now I'm getting some help this time and it's amazing. Okay. The help I'm getting from Kevin, the people at NSU TV, um, the people I'm getting, the help I'm getting across the board now, promoting it, sharing it out, getting the word out. This is, you know, like if you've seen the, the gift for uh, Ultron, this is exactly what I wanted. It's happening and it's taken off and I'm enjoying it. There you go. Well, and we enjoy being invited for part uh, for to take part in it, participate. We're really excited that Earth Station One's included on Sunday's programming. Um, we'll have a link in our show notes so that people can easily find it, and we'll do what we can to help promote it as well. So, um, and where can people go again, once again, to to find out more about this event online? Uh, in the comic related comic related madness Facebook group, there's an event post. It's also um, right at the top of the announcements, the, the schedule, all the different places that are going to be showing it. We have quite a list, man. I mean, uh, quite a list of people that are that are going to be showcasing it this time. Besides just my YouTube and and uh, the comic talk with Pops YouTube and the, and the Madness, you got NSC Live, uh, their Facebook group, uh, Cheers to Comics podcast is going to be giving us their love, has a Facebook group. You guys are Station One. We got Shop Talk Podcast, Chuck Penal's group, um, Creators Outlet Podcast, Evolution Comics, uh, Facebook page, and Indie We got we're going out in a lot of places we never went out before. I'm especially thankful to every single one of them. And and we are thankful for you as well. So we'll have a link, like I said, in our show notes so people can find it. And, uh, you know, um, thank you so much for your 
for your passion and for uh for for your you know handling this this is a really awesome thing you're doing and uh we're proud to be part of it so thank you so much for appreciate you guys a lot man seriously nope and we are going to be actually sunday at 2 30 in the afternoon eastern time Mm -hmm. so you'll be able to see mike and i talker station one stuff you know, I like you don't hear you that here. next time. <laughs> ah, oh, damn, the tables are turned. Ah. So we'll it's have to go. It's, so, it's Pops, good. do you want us to talk? And you'll go, no, Earth Station One, we want you to die. <laughs> no, we, we, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Crom, the little troll mascot from the comic-related madness, that little green guy that pops up everywhere. You, you got to pay attention to Crom because he's the one that's calling the shots. Okay. Uh-oh. Got it. Cromcon, baby. Crom January is awesome. 3rd. <laughs> yes. Start off your new year right. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you in the new year. All right. Appreciate you guys. Have a good, good holiday season. You too, man. Peace. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our movie crew for being here tonight. Ashley, you survived your first time hosting. I didn't. I didn't do so bad Yay. that I was rejected out the airlock in the station. So hopefully I can well, come back for another time. Well, we'll, well talk. Next, we'll next talk. week, right? <laughs> Negotiations, yeah. Well, it's up for negotiation. We'll see how the ratings do this week, basically. We'll see how our numbers are. Yeah. And then we'll let you know. <laughs> Sounds good. Exactly. That's you know. That's the only way I let anybody back on the show. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> God, except that except I have photos. Exactly. He does have the photos, so that's why. That's why he's Ew. been here. That's why he keeps them locked in a vault, so he doesn't have to look at them. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's better that everybody don't. Yeah. It's easier that way. Anything you want to shout out about? Yeah, um, I wanted to give a shout out to an artist I've been following on Twitter that does really great work. His name is Jake Bartok, and his uh, Twitter is at JR underscore Bartok, B-A-R-T-O-K. Each year I try to buy a new piece of geek artwork at a con, so unfortunately have not been going to any conventions this year. But he has done a fantastic series where he takes characters from star wars and does them as like medieval knights so he gets some fantasy weapons and armor and it's just really incredible he's done all the different eras from the movies and it's just absolutely beautiful artwork so if you're looking for a way to support some people um some geek artists this season he's a great one and i was excited to make make a purchase so hopefully be on its way to me soon that is awesome that is really, really awesome. And Mr. Alex, Very thank you cool. once again, as always. Hi. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. This was a lot of fun. And I think Ashley did a tremendous job. Thanks. So. Cool. What do you got to shout out about tonight, my friend? So, um, obviously, in following with, with Ashley's mentioning of uh, supporting local artists and whatnot, um, I am a big proponent of supporting independent theater small theaters, not the big chains. Um, this Friday uh, on, on Christmas Day, Wonder Woman 84 is coming to both HBO Max and to movie theaters. I am proud to say that the Aurora Cineplex will be open on Christmas Day for Wonder Woman 84. Oh, awesome. Very nice. Uh, yeah. 
Um, only 50 seats per uh, showing. Um, but man, this is one that you're going to want to see on the big screen. So if you're in the Atlanta area and are looking for something to do on Christmas Day because uh, you're tired of your family or you can't get to your family, um, check we out just the call Aurora. It Friday at our house. Um, so I it's think okay. it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's called Friday. <laughs> Yeah, this is true. So. This is true. Um, so yeah, uh, um, excited. The theater has not wow. been open since March, and uh, the the chance for them to be open up again in twenty twenty is nice. huge. That's so. awesome. It's a great theater, folks. If you are in the Atlanta area, please go support these guys. These guys do such a wonderful job throughout the year, and just like. Everybody else, they've been hit pretty darn hard. Thank goodness they had a uh, mini golf to help them survive. They really, yeah, that's what kept yeah. them going this summer uh, and uh, this fall and this yeah. winter. A lot of so. places are starting to close up again that tried to open. We just got an yep. email right before we went on the air that City Winery is closing down all its locations. That you know they're going to be closing until towards the end of the first quarter of 2021. So because they tried opening at very limited seating and such, but it just didn't work. And you know they don't want it's they don't want to put people at risk, especially with the numbers rising again. So it's just it's just crazy. So and we're not trying to stand on any soapboxes here, folks. We're just you know telling you like what it is. But you know, folks. There are a lot of small businesses. Aurora is one of my favorites and, you know, as it is Alex's, you know, and, you know, it has a deep place in our hearts and it is worth, you know, supporting all these places. So please, 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 you know, use some of that Christmas money, use some gift cards, use some things, you know, to help support these places. Or if you're running around crazy doing some last minute shopping, buy gift cards for these places. So please check it out. I guess that was my shout out for tonight. <laughs> I was going to mention. So yeah, it's a great shout out, man. That was, was awesome. You know, I was going to mention the stand, but you know we have enough of that in real life right now. So I think we'll be okay without talking about that. Mr. Mike, what do you got to finish us up tonight? Well, as always, it's my pleasure, especially when I can just kick back and let someone else host uh, the segment. So that was great. Um, uh, I am going to give a shout out to another show on the ESO Network, another podcast. I think people should be listening to the Double Edge, Double Bill podcast with Adam and Thomas, um, as particularly this latest episode. Um, and it's not because I'm on it. Um, it's because I was supposed to be on it. Um, uh, I, um, I, uh, I was all set to join them. Uh, they, uh, they, their stick is that, uh, their gimmick is that they, uh, have they review two movies on every episode, one good and one bad as a double feature that they call it the yin and yang of double features. And uh, in honor of Wonder Woman 84, they were they had picked two DC movies. So uh, the movies that they're reviewing uh, this next episode will be Batman v Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice, as well as um, Birds of Prey that came out earlier this year. Um, so I'll let you guys decide which one is uh, the yin and the yang. Uh, but um, but I, yeah. uh, I, uh, you know, I watched the movies. I had notes. I was all prepared. But unfortunately, there was an emergency that I had to uh, attend to on Friday, and I wasn't able to join them. But those guys are really great. I look forward to joining them at some point, and I look forward to listening to them talk about these movies. And you guys should check it out too. So it'll be, I think, one. I think it's episode one thirty-five or one thirty-six. Um, I'm not sure what the number is, but yes, it'll be released this week. 
Yep. And real quick, I also appeared on another ESO Network podcast. I appeared over on the 42 cast and we talked about Titans. And the, so that should be in about a year or two for Nathan's show. So it should be a lot of fun to hear us talk about that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, it's great to chat with you guys. It's always great to be here with you guys. And we actually have a new movie next week to talk about. Can you believe it? I am totally shocked on this one. So it is great. Wonder Woman 84. You might have heard of it. Some people are talking about it. Yeah. Might have. Small little, you know, small little thing to to talk about. Either that or we could watch the season finale of Mandalorian again and just go over that again and again and again. So it should be a lot of fun to talk about Wonder Woman. So join us then. And as always, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You could find them at www.nsctvlive.com. Remember, you could find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. And if you would, please, please be sure to, you know, leave us five stars when you rate us. You know, we the more you rate us and more you leave feedback. This is how we know how we're doing. This knows that people are listening. It's always great. We don't beg too much on the show. Okay. We do beg a lot on the show. But this is for a good time. It's the holidays. Be giving. Give five stars to us. We would really, really appreciate that. And tell all your friends about us. Please. We'd really appreciate it. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Ashley Pauls, who did a great job at hosting tonight. And, of course, Alex Autry, thanks again for listening. We'll see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe. Hug your loved ones. Merry Christmas, everybody. And have a happy New Year's if we don't talk to you before then. Peace and take it easy. And we're done. Boom. Yay. Yay. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.